let's talk in this segment a little bit about some uh, health and medicine related issues. Let's let's just do a bunch of a backlog here that I've that I've amassed and, and go through a few of these. Um, article from the Chicago Tribune, a short one. Only 38% of the people who called in sick last year were actually ill, according to a survey by CCH Inc., an employment law company. Most were taking mental health days or attending to errands and other personal business. Did you know the U.S. Patent Office received almost 400,000 applications last year, which is a record? Apparently the system is so overtaxed that Apple is still waiting to receive a patent for the iPod. Let's talk a little bit about some medicines. Article from The Economist, October 8th, I found rather surprising. Talking about Afghanistan. Of course, the Afghanistan's become the world's largest producer of the opium poppy, but there's been an internationally funded blitz on, on the industry. They noted there was a 96% drop in the poppy uh, hectarage in the Naghar prom, uh, province, which borders Pakistan. Uh, there was a 21% overall reduction nationwide. Of course, in the wake of the war in Afghanistan, um, uh, the Taliban, which had taken a dim view of, of poppy uh, production, was ousted, and the poppy took off all across the country, which is really the only cash crop the nation of Afghanistan has. So when they go in and try and stifle production, it has a terrible economic impact. According to The Economist, the French-based Senlis Council uh, has bravely proposed to introduce licensed opium production in Afghanistan for pharmaceutical painkillers. This council has pointed out there's an alarming shortfall in the supply of painkillers, particularly in poor countries. I did not know this. Apparently only 24% of the world's pain relief needs are being met currently, while 77% of the world's morphine and codeine are consumed by just 7 developed nations. The magazine noted it seems to be a particularly cruel irony that such drugs are almost unavailable in Afghanistan, the world's biggest producer of opiates. And I'll bet that's true. It's like fishermen in Maine not eating the lobster they catch because that's what they depend on for money. I'm sure people in Afghanistan are dependent upon the opium uh, uh, poppy for export, and it's probably not being utilized on a local level. Very sad. Hope something can be done about that. Now, uh, unexpected side effects can, uh, can be an interesting thing in the field of medicine. Uh, an antihypertensive uh, medication called uh, minoxidil some years back was found to grow hair on patients that were taking it, and uh, it's no longer marketed as an antihypertensive, but you can get topical minoxidil called Rogaine to apply on your scalp and try and retain what hair you have. When Pfizer introduced a new anti-angina drug some years back, they noted that male volunteers noted an unusual consequence. Uh, they were getting frequent erections. The compound, then known as UK92480, was renamed Viagra by the pharmaceutical giant, and the rest, of course, is history. But in an absolutely fascinating story about a drug side effect, it, tur it turns out that a class of drugs being used to treat Parkinson's disease had an unusual side effect in a, uh, in a small percentage of patients taking it. It caused a significant, though small number, to become compulsive gamblers. 
Now, of course, uh, you know, there's a built-in feedback system that operates in our brains, which makes certain things addicting. And, of course, uh, uh, dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It's the problem when you get Parkinson's. You don't have enough of it. The cells that make it uh, start to die off. And uh, by giving you dopamine agonists, things which mimic the effects of dopamine, you can bring relief to patients. Um, But researchers in the Mayo Clinic discovered that dopamine agonists have the power to change the personality in some patients. Some became compulsive eaters, some became alcoholics, some developed an increased sex drive that their spouses reported as bothersome. But it's the drug Pramaprexol, which uh, strongly stimulates dopamine receptor, which is located in the part of the brain believed to be involved with the control of emotional matters. Uh, Well, it overstimulated that area, and then people (laughs) went to the casino. Article in the AP noted that Joe Neglia was a retired government intelligence worker who had Parkinson's when suddenly developed what he calls the gambling habit from hell. After losing thousands of dollars playing slot machines near his California home several times a day for nearly two years, Neglia stumbled on, the, about an, on an internet report linking a popular Parkinson's drug, the one he used, with compulsive gambling. Three days after he stopped taking the drug Mirapex, all desire to gamble just went away completely. I felt like I had my brain back. This is truly interesting stuff. We're going to make a lot of breakthroughs in regards to, uh, to sexual addictions, uh, drug addictions, uh, gambling addictions in the future based on our better understanding of what's going on up there in the gray matter. And unfortunately, in this country, we have a lot of cops practicing medicine without a license. And what was once a, a very promising drug, um, 3,4-methyldioxymethamphetamine, better known to you as ecstasy, uh, has become a street drug because uh, people have tried to crack down on its legitimate use in medicine. Turns out at Duke University, biochemists working on mice have discovered that ecstasy uh, is, uh, has very promising results. Uh, in treating the aforementioned Parkinson's disease patients. They've discovered that amphetamines help with Parkinson's, and of these, ecstasy works the best. It works almost as well as L-DOPA, which is the side effect prone drug which is commonly used by Parkinson's patients to replenish their dopamine supplies. What's really exciting about this is when the team combined ecstasy with L-DOPA, they found they needed much smaller amounts, 1 30th to 1 20th as much to make symptoms disappear. I was curious to note that the the team led by Mark Karen, apparently a doctor at Duke, uh, said that um, now that he's shown that movement isn't solely dopamine dependent, he hopes to understand how ecstasy works and that in turn could lead to the development of new drugs with fewer side effects and less of the social stigma, he said. There may be things out there that don't have the bad rap of ecstasy. Well, I'm sorry, if ecstasy is proven to be extremely effective in this case, maybe it's time we should stop uh, you know, uh, uh, pointing our fingers at people that use it and, and get rid of the bad rap and start using it uh, as the drug with many medical applications that it always could have been and still can be. But I'm afraid we're going to get uh, we're going to get more from the government, such as uh, the comment by John Walters, the nation's drug policy director, who said a couple months ago that medical pot was dying out. This after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled earlier this year that federal authorities may prosecute sick people whose doctors prescribe pot to ease pain. 
To that, I would say if it's dying out, it's not because it doesn't have medical applications, but because the feds are, uh, are putting the hurt on people that are trying to use it in a legitimate medical setting. That's just my personal opinion. And of course, you know, the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the University of California at Davis, the staff here at KDVS, or any of our sponsors. We would like to note that it's not our opinion, but is in fact a new study, which was published a couple months ago, which noted that the idea that marijuana is a gateway drug to harder use, uh, according to this article, appears to have been true only for the baby boom generation. Well, I'm here to tell you, as a physician and member of the baby boom generation, it really wasn't true for us either. The drug that most people get started with, in my era and any others, is tobacco. Study after study has shown that the first drug that kids are able to get their hands on because of its widespread availability are cigarettes. But at any rate, this study that was done by the Federal National Household Drug Survey from 1979 to 1997 checked whether young people use marijuana, uh, whether they were at risk for moving on to harder drugs. They concluded that they were not, and the only people that might have been were the baby boomers, and I'm here to tell you, uh, it just wasn't true for us either. Sorry. And speaking of marijuana, a recent study done in Canada uh, notes that uh, marijuana, marijuana-like compounds, uh, cannabinoids, um, can actually promote the generation of new neurons in rat brains in the area related to memory. Zia Zhang, associate professor with the Neuropsychiatric Research Unit at the University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, noted, This is quite a surprise. Chronic use of marijuana may actually improve learning memory when the new neurons in the hippocampus can mature in two or three months. Now, based on my limited personal experience, I would say that the heavy pot smokers that I've known in my life did not necessarily have a stellar or improved memory as a consequence of their use of a recreational drug. But nevertheless, as we talked about in this program before, cannabinoids are going to have widespread application in medicine. They're going to be absolutely huge, and a lot of good things are going to come out of it. It's a shame that for so many years, research was stifled by uh, obstacles, really, put in the path of researchers by the federal government. And in some further good news on the drug scene, it turns out that uh, certain uh, anti-epilepsy drugs may help alcoholics to stop drinking. Um, this, uh, this article, which I've got from Newsweek, June 13, 2005, which I'm just now getting around to, um, reported on a man named Donald Elbell. He was a longtime alcoholic, had been so all of his life. It just nothing was worked. He'd been to AA, uh, trying to detox, couldn't give up uh, drinking beer in his case, then volunteered for a clinical trial of a drug called topiramate which is a seizure medication. He wasn't required even to stay sober, but after just a few days of oral medication, he lost interest in drinking. This is a rather an amazing story. He took the drug for only three months, but hasn't touched a beer in seven years. Now, of course, uh, uh, this is is anecdotal evidence based on one person, but um, this drug is showing a lot of promise in studies with binge eaters, smokers, and gamblers. We talked about, uh, you know, chronic gambling, brain chemistry just a minute ago. Well, addiction is a kind of brain damage, if you think about it. In a normal brain, 
Uh, there are these reward systems. There's various signals. Um, the current theory with topamirate is that um, that uh, glutamate is a neurotransmitter. We all have this in our brain. It's kind of a go signal. We also have a drug called GABA, which is gamma aminobutyric acid. It's an inhibitor that keeps these go signals from overwhelming us. Uh, apparently, this drug reduces the release of glutamate, enhances the release of GABA, which is really good for an addict. It, uh, it stops the behavior. Again, very exciting stuff. A lot of promising pharmaceutical agents are going to come out of this kind of research. And uh, this, is, this is really this is good news for all of us. We're also going to see a lot of breakthroughs with our better understanding of genetics. Um, scientists have noted recently they discovered a gene in fruit flies that contributes to their tolerance for alcohol. And they've, they've named the gene hangover. Flies with this functioning hangover gene were exposed to ethanol vapor, which is, uh, you know, grain alcohol. Uh, it made them intoxicated. Scientists recorded the time it took for them to display the effects of the alcohol, the lack of coordination and, 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 and eventual sleep, and the time it took them to recover. Then they compared these times with results from the same test conducted on flies that contained non-functioning hangover genes. Those ones with the working genes had increased tolerance to alcohol compared with the flies that seemingly lacked the gene. They also recovered more quickly. We know that in human beings, alcoholics tend to run in families. How much of it's nurture, how much of it's nature, no one, uh, no one can say, but it certainly does appear that uh, nature has a role to play. I find it stunning that research done on worms, uh, last year we reported uh, on this show about this, has shown that there are worms out there that lack the gene that allows them to get drunk. Aww. That's a topic I think we're going to have to return to on this show. And speaking of fruit flies, genes, and behavior, I've got an article here from New Scientist magazine, June 17th, that I, uh, that I think we should uh, delve into. It turns out that heterosexual fruit flies can be turned gay with the flick of a single gene, according to scientists. Discovers that the Austrian Academy of Sciences in Vienna altered one gene in a female fruit fly, after which she avidly began pursuing other females. She seduced those females by tapping their legs, playing them songs with her wings, and licking them, which are apparently all standard fruit fly seduction techniques. Males, similarly altered, became more passive and turned their sexual attentions exclusively to other males. Author Barry Dixon told the New York Times, A single gene in the fruit fly is sufficient to determine all aspects of the fly's sexual orientation and behavior. These results, of course, add to a growing body of evidence that sexual orientation may be inborn, although scientists do not know if there's a similar master sexual gene for humans. Said Dr. Michael Weiss of Case Western Reserve University, the results are so clean and compelling, this will take the discussion about sexual preference out of the realm of morality and put it in the realm of science. <laughs> We are out of time. I want to thank uh, my producer, Mr. McMillan, for his able assistance as always. This has been Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We will see you again next Thursday at 5 o'clock when we will 
probably have a little more serious show than today, but uh, hey, what's what's wrong with taking a little uh, little breather now and again from the weighty uh, matters of of our world? Stay tuned now for Todd, who will be bringing you his uh, usual wonderful wonderful collection of eclectic music.